You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. And we're back with Keep It. I'm Ira Madison III. I'm Louis Vertel. And I'm Aida Osman. And I have no emotions left. Why? These Oscar nominations hollowed me out. Absolutely drained. Okay, we will get to that in a minute. Okay. Right now, we are all players in the circle. People are really obsessed with one guy in the circle in particular, right? Yes. Yes. Okay, that needs to be explained to me. Emo black thought. (laughs) (laughs) Start a private chat with Joey. Yes. Let me explain it to people. It is a reality show based on a British format, which involves eight players being in a complex. And they're all in different apartments, and they can't see each other, and they can only interact with one another on The Circle, which is a voice-activated computer system. Okay, so they can't see each other. Okay, Not at all. But they can message one another. All right. And basically you can pretend to be anyone you want or you can be yourself. Hmm. A couple people are using other people's photos and pretending to be someone else to get people to like them more because the people who are unpopular get blocked from the circle. Mm. Ooh. And the winner at the end will win the money. Why would you assume the other players are using legitimate photos of themselves? You can't. That's the part of the fun of it, too, is that you don't know who's being sincere or not. Some of them are because some people are like, you know, I'm fun. I'm lovable. Yeah. People will like me. Some people are like, people wouldn't like who I am because, you know, they have lived in the world Mm -hmm. and they have watched reality TV before, too. And it sounds dystopian. Yeah. But I think it's actually surprisingly very genuine. Mm -hmm. Um, It shocks me uh, how much I like some of these people and their reasonings for why they think someone is fake and their reasonings for, like, why they wouldn't want to be someone else. Like, there's this lesbian Karen. Yeah. This 37-year-old, like, stud from the Bronx. And she's trying to be, like, this cute, like, black girl named Mercedes who's, like, younger and, like, pretty girl gang. And, like, because she thinks that's what people would like instead of her. And I'm like, they don't like her. They don't. And (laughs) And if she would have just been herself, I feel like they would have liked her. It's so fun to watch her try and figure out how to be feminine with other girls. She's like, I guess this is what girls say. And she'll start girl chats and, like, not really know what to do. And there's another, I don't know his name, but there's a boyfriend who's using his girlfriend's photos. Because he's like, it's people like girls better. That's just obvious. Is that his name? So these people are isolated in different apartments? They're like, in different rooms. Got they, it. Yeah. Okay. His name is Seaburn. Yeah. And he, I s- called him Emo Black Thought, because if you remember <laughs> that Twitter fiasco of the guy who was pretending to be a wom- a black woman forever on right. social media, this guy's pretending to be using his girlfriend's photos and talking about cramps yeah. and really trying to be a woman. Mm-hmm. He's doing a good job, too. He's doing a good job. He's doing a good job. How close is this to my beloved The Mole, Ira? Uh... It's not moly in the sense that there's not cases and trying to solve anything, but there are a lot of people talking back and forth about how 
whether or not you can even believe the person you're talking to is who they say they are. Got it. So that, the, I mean, like, so is there a lot of paranoia too? Yes. Okay. There's so yeah. much paranoia in it because that the Big Brother element of that obviously yes, speaks yeah. to me. Because obviously, if you're flirting with someone and sliding in your DMs, like you could be being catfished. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And once it gets further in, like they start like realizing like a couple of people are really catfishing us, but they don't know who. Yeah. Also, does and there's mean- no way to prove that you're not a catfish, obviously, because. They never see they, each other. You can't see each other got until it, the end. It. So in a way, do you end up hating the people who just choose themselves because they're like narcissists who believe they're really good people or no? No. I mean, I, I, re- I really love – Well, so there's the first girl who got kicked off, which was hilarious because you she would thrive on like a big brother, right? Yes. But this is real people who are like – this is blonde girl comes in. She's like, oh, I'm a full-time model, you know, like tacos every day. Like that's what describes her. Yeah. And everyone else is like, bitch, you don't eat tacos every day. Yeah, that was everyone's first <laughs> And I'm like full-time model and they get like really annoyed with her. And some yeah. people don't think she's who she says he is either. And she's the first person to get blocked. Got it. That my favorite person is Shubham though. Yes, Shubham. Shubham is an Indian guy who is like so cute and very just funny, and I hope he goes very far. He comes in very genuine. He's like, everyone here is going to have an agenda, so I'm just going to be me. And then he don't just post normal and is quirky and is his natural self, and he's hilarious. And I actually fun- weirdly th- can't think of another show that's like this. Really, no, yeah, I'm, it's really I'm thrilled cool. to watch it. And what's funny is because he does himself on the show. Immediately, like a couple of people are like, I think he's a catfish. Yeah. <laughs> Just because he seems so normal. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Which uh, normality, uh, I'm sure, is the most suspicious quality you can have. Yeah. Anyway, watch the circle. Watch the circle. Yeah. Damn. And as a thought experiment, it's really like there's a lot there. There's a lot going on to think about about social media and appearances, and it can be fun for you, Lewis. Oh, God. You know, I hate reflective moments. So <laughs> we'll see how that goes. <laughs> Anyway, we have a packed show today. Mm. We have the aforementioned Oscar nomination. My fists are clenched. Oh, no. Burn it all down. Yeah, unfortunately. Burn it all down. Where'd you go, burn it all down? Yeah, it's over for you bitches. You're dead. <laughs> You're done. We're also going to talk about the royal family, which is also in shambles. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. These uh, establishment breakers. All of our institutions are crumbling today. The two that I believed in. Yeah. Yes. And then we will chat with Sarah Gamble, creator of the series You on Netflix. Who is very uh, Juliana Margulies looking, as yes. I pointed out to her. Yes. <laughs> and as of today, You Season 3 was announced by Netflix. <gasps> I know, just this morning. Yeah. Right. So we'll be right back. Oscar nominations are out. And so are my knives. I was going to say, <laughs> I'll wait for it. Holding back tears, the waiting for it. The setup was there. Yeah. By the way, someone tweeted at me, can you please explain what this knives things means? And I'm like, how have you missed the movie Knives Out? And also, it means so little. Please don't ask. <laughs> it means everything. Yeah, right. See how it means nothing? That's what I mean. Anyway, the Oscar nominations are here, and they're pretty whack. Yeah. I thought the Golden Globe nominations were bad, and then this happened, and it turns out that the Golden Globe nominations might have been better. We're superior. (laughs) (laughs) The Golden Globes are my new dad. Yeah. (laughs) I I just want to say that when they were rolling out the nominations, that is uh, 
Issa Rae and John Cho. You got up to see them. I did. I, okay. Oh, I'm always up at 5, 10 a.m. I, I usually am, but I had a lot to do Sunday evening, and so I was like, I don't want to be up at 5 a.m. to see this shit. I, I'm fully a Macbeth witch, like, storming around trees, casting spells at 5, 10 a.m., waiting for the no- Oscar nominations. I was romping around Silver Lake, and I was at a crossroads, and I saw John Cho Sunday night. And I, he looked haggard. And I was like, I know what you're doing tomorrow morning. <laughs> I know what you have going on. I'm so sorry. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't think I would ever turn down announcing the Oscar nominations, but I'm surprised Issa Rae did it. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And also, th- I have to say, they could have prepared a little bit more material. Yeah. There was I'm none. always blown away when people do these, like when Tiffany Haddish is just spitballing over there mm-hmm. yes. and doesn't have anything to say. It's like there are predictable moments where you will have to speak here. It's like hosting a stand-up night or something. Between the main events, between people doing stand-up, there's an opportunity to be really good. I guess they're like it's 5 a.m. Nobody's really watching True. this shit. Yeah. But people are. But yeah, it's taped. Or they're going to go yes. back. Yeah. Uh, who did Tiffany present with again? Tiffany Haddish did it with Andy Serkis, which is among the motliest crews I've ever yeah. heard. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if he was in like a boss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a friend of mine saw it, liked it. I've heard it's actually pretty funny. I'll get around to it. It looks yeah. good. Yeah, I'll get to it. Um, but I just want to say at the beginning of these Oscar nominations, I believe the first category was Best Supporting Actress. By the first nomination, already my heart was sinking because it was Kathy Bates and Richard Jewell. Now... I have no problem with Kathy Bates. In fact, it's weird how long it's been since Kathy Bates was last nominated, which was about Schmidt in 2002. I stand Kathy Bates, but... She's never bad. And I saw Tammy, so don't even mm-hmm. try to challenge me with the Tammy thing. So did I. Yeah. But we talked about Richard Jewell on this show, and she... What does she do in this movie? She mm-hmm. It's a role she could do in her sleep, unfortunately. It's a role she's done before. She's a supportive mom, which, by the way, if you look back at the history of the Best Supporting Actress category, is like half the nominations. A supportive mom who like just can't get over what's happening to her kid. Or it's an evil mom, a la Alice and Janney. Mm-hmm. Or Judith Anderson and Rebecca, who was nominated, didn't win. But Kathy Bates being nominated meant somebody we thought was getting nominated was not going to get in. Yes. And I knew right then it was probably J-Lo. Jennifer yes. Lopez, yes. So let's just talk about this category right away. No J-Lo. Correct. I was crestfallen. Yeah. <laughs> crestfallen. Fallen. Let me tell you about J-Lo and how heartbroken she must be. She did a radio interview where she was talking about how um, she really loved doing the film El Cantante and like really thought that it was going to get her some recognition. And she didn't get it. Then after the Oscars happened, she said that the president of the Academy called her up personally and said, I just saw El Cantante. I'm so sorry. You should have been nominated. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. It's not the fact that I think she's so good in Hustlers. She is so good in Hustlers. Definitely her best performance. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but I think that people were really just sort of underestimating how much we were talking about how much she actually has been great for some time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Selena. Alcantante, as I mentioned, you know, out of sight. You know, I think that, you know, you think of her and her silly rom-coms, but J-Lo has constantly delivered. And I I don't know. I I just really was disappointed. I hope after this, just the run she's had, we get uh, more high-quality J-Lo films. I just would crave that. No more rom No more second act. Yeah. Okay? No more second act. That was the last act of second act. Yes. (laughs) I want her to shift into... Obviously, Char got nominated, but I want her to shift into that late 80s, early 90s era that Shara had 
Uh, oh, where, sure. Yeah, oh, suspect. Know, suspect. I was literally about to say <laughs> suspect, which is a movie. Oh, yeah. Her hair in that movie, too. Just the curls and that gray suit. That's like the Cher imperial period for me. I love a 1987 serious Cher. Yes, and I think that J-Lo could move into that era. Now, we, we've seen her do the rom-coms. Doing second act seemed goofy to me at this point, too, because she's playing like Vanessa Hudgens' secret mom. And Sometimes it's like, I wonder too- if it's a taste level thing. I do actually wonder that about J-Lo. But the fact that she wasn't nominated... Like, the fact that Hustlers is not in the conversation at all in any way just makes the race so much less interesting. It's like when you get a nomination, like Jackie oh. Weaver in Animal Kingdom, mm-hmm. or like Melissa McCarthy in Bridesmaids, where it's like, oh, now we get to think about the quality of entertainment in a new way because you're definitely bringing something that none of the other nominees are bringing. Mm-hmm. Now I look at who's actually nominated, and they're all bringing some version of the same thing. Laura Dern in Marriage Story. Here's the thing. We love I Laura love Dern. Laura yes. Dern. I am Laura Dern Hive. If we were not in a sort of era where Big Little Lies came out and we're sort of having a Laura Dernissance, no one would be talking about this Laura Dern mm-hmm. performance. It's not spectacular. So I, I will slightly disagree with that. I do think she brings dimension. I, I think the lawyerliness is second to none with Laura Dern. I think she plays that well. I think I've said before, her role in Marriage Story is like the best good wife guest performance ever. <laughs> um, and I will say, I think this performance is better than the other two times she's been nominated, which was a, for a movie called Rambling Rose, which is, if you don't know this... Rambling ab- Rose is horrific. It's a... <laughs> Rose. That's the one where she's she like, with, with that teenager. teenager. Yes. yes. And she, it's called Rambling Rose because she won't shut up. Yes. It's, I mean, it's a shocking movie. The and hor- then Wild, the, the, which, in which she was fine, but it was a brief role. The behavior that she exhibits in Rambling Rose... <laughs> is predatory like (laughs) what are your feelings about laura dern i feel like in marriage story was interesting fine added this role but i don't think that she added another dimension the way that you think that she did i Mm -hmm. feel like she was a dry character she i say this about her that that was the most laura dern-ass character that she could do in marriage story there was nothing new to it there's nothing vibrant about her character when i look at i don't want to have to defend scarlett johansson ever but at least in jojo rabbit she's doing something that i'm like oh i've never seen her do something similar to this true maybe she should have (laughs) maybe she never should have been no in, in a way though i feel like people are sympathetic to that like scarlett johansson could be a spoiler i think and uh, i support when we get to best actress i support the marriage story now because i actually did really like her in marriage story jojo rabbit though scarlett was the person who took me out of that film oh yeah well she was like a lot of people who went in this category and i'm thinking about renee zellweger in cold mountain kate blanchett in the aviator they're doing something broad and feels like it's in another movie. Okay, mm-hmm. well, Kate Blanchett whipping off coats in The Aviator uh, <laughs> was one of the best parts of the movie. Yeah. I also would say that I don't think anybody in The Aviator seems like they belong in The Aviator who's a woman. That's true. Oh, yeah. Gwen Stefani. Gwen Stefani is Jean Harlow. Gardner. Yeah. It's just or, like. Um, uh, Kate Beckinsale. Yeah. yeah. I'm just like, what are you doing in this movie, Gwen? Yeah. And it's still wild to me that Gwen Stefani was in a Scorsese movie. I wonder anyway. if that part was bigger, too, because it's definitely two lines. <laughs> I always but think about that. The stepping over the flash bulbs is one of my favorite scenes in a Scorsese film. Oh, no. I mean, that movie looks amazing. Uh, but I was so upset about J-Lo that... Florence Pugh's nomination, which was not guaranteed, and we got it mm-hmm. for Little Women, and she plays a very saucy but august and ultimately lovable, which is a sort of new take on Amy. Amy, um, saving I, I, grace, yes, saving grace of these noms. Florence Pugh, yeah, pew pew pew. <laughs> to quote Laura during Star Wars, yeah. <laughs> pew pew pew. Uh, I'm Pew Hive. Yeah, please. I love her. She has such a controlled 
um, sort of restrained energy about her that when the emotion does come out, it just feels raw. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Her speech about marrying for money to um, Timmy Chalamet in the film is wrecking. Yeah. I don't know. I, I love Florence. To me, she's both sly and whip smart. Mm-hmm. So you mm-hmm. get both in equal measure. There's like a tease to how much she can bring, and I love that. No, I love how much, because when I saw her in Midsommar, I was like, okay, this girl feels like the girl next door, but also mm. has this very particular special feeling about her. Like, I would be friends with her, and she doesn't have to do much with her face. She just... You feel it, like you can. She can convey emotion without having to do a lot. Right. Love that. She's and, like the Chloe Grace Moretz of my dreams. Yes. Yeah. And let me tell you something about Florence. Let me say a little something to you people out there Speak who have it. some words to say about the man that she is dating. Oh. Okay. <laughs> she is twenty-four, and she is currently with Zach Braff, who is forty-four. Right. I have a couple things to say. One, if Florence all of a sudden stops dating Zach Braff, he's not going to start dating you. So get over it. First and foremost. Get over it first and foremost. Two, when I was in my 20s, I was getting all sorts of 44-year-old dick. Let her get it. (laughs) Okay. Let her get it. I'm right with her because- Okay. What is she supposed to do? Date a 20-year-old? No, you're right. Uh, Noah Centineo? When you're you beyond your that? years. No, it's like it's like Timothy Chalamet. He should be dating who played his mom and Call Me By Your Name. I'm sorry, some people are just advanced. Yes. Uh... <laughs> and Scrubs was that girl, and yes. that's what I was growing up watching, so it makes total sense. I was in love with Zach Brown. Do we all hate him now? I don't Is think that a so. Thing? People are just like, no. he's, he's not cute. He's like uncool. I'm like, didn't you all love Scrubs? I would Garden descri- State is iffy, yeah. but... Yeah, I would describe him as almost definitively cute. Yes, I think that like conventionally, I even, think that like, Garden State hasn't aged well, but I don't think it's as abysmal as that brief period in the 2010s where every millennial tried to pretend like they retroactively hated Garden State just because they felt embarrassed for how into it and the soundtrack mm-hmm. that they were. Right. I don't think it's as bad as people want to pretend it was. And also- It's almost, not Elizabeth Town. Right. Yeah. Oh, Cameron Crowe. That girl's name is Florence. She can date whatever age she wants. That's <laughs> it. I'm done. Leave her alone. Also, okay. by the way, nothing has held up well from 2005 except since you've been gone. So right? whatever. <laughs> yeah. Let Florence have her machine, <laughs> <Yeah>. okay? <laughs> Let Florence dance around Zach Brass and Maypole. <laughs> And, the <laughs> yeah, and then far. there's Margot, which by the, that to me is my least well, favorite of the twenty nominations. That performance expected. is so. I'm not going to say it's bad. I think the character itself is bad. I think that there's so much in that film that is a powerful statement about misogyny and about the culture at Fox News, mm-hmm. and we'll talk about that when we get to Charlize Theron. But to put an amalgamation of a character in a film like that, I just felt it was so unnecessary. Yeah, it also to me felt like that character was put in there so that like the layperson, that is to say onlooking men, to assure them that their idea of predation occurred. You yes. know what I mean? Like it's like, oh, it, what happens to her is so like textbook like the the sexual harassment video you watch. Mm-hmm. And and because the Gretchen Carlson, Megan Kelly stories don't really have that same narrative in it like they put it there to make to give the movie more drama and i don't think it works on something that's such recent history Mm -hmm. it doesn't work and also the relationship with 
Kate McKinnon's character too. It's just there's so many things that are just so broad Especially, and feel like they're yes. out of place. It, like one, it feels forced and contrived. Just like yeah. oh, we need this for the movie. And it, there's a part where that character Margot Robbie says, "I'd be freaking fantastic for your show or whatever." Who wrote that? Line? <laughs> Why is she like an eight year old? It makes no sense, and the way she plays it is bizarre. I would have disqualified her right there. Well, uh, hey there, Mister Ailes. Well, I'd I'd really be freaking fantastic for for you know your corporation. Your nobody, corporation. nobody. <laughs> walks into a job talking like that. It just made made no sense to me. I, if uh, Honestly, if that movie were entirely blanked, I would have been supportive of it. And by the way, I usually am the person to defend the, the movies that only appear in actress categories. Well, talking about that, though, Charlize is nominated for Best Actress, and I am now coming away feeling a little better about her performance in the film, if only because I recently saw the um, Megyn Kelly special that she put up on mm-hmm. her little YouTube channel, mm-hmm. you know, because her show got canceled, um, <laughs> where she was watching it with other Fox News women and just seeing a woman who's usually just so, like, controlled and, like, professional about her image reacting to it, I think I finally got some of the emotion in that film. Um, I still think, you know, there was nothing in the film that sort of drives home the point that if you go to work at a company that props up white supremacy and misogyny, um, you shouldn't be that shocked when the misogyny turns back around on you. Mm-hmm. It comes back to bite. Right. <laughs> when you do clownery, yeah, right. the clown comes back to bite. When you do professional clownery, yeah. You know, that's not to say that any of these women deserve that, but there's there's no conversation about the fact that Fox News as an organization is evil. Treats women like shit. Yeah, yes. treats women like shit, is evil. By treats commandment. Treats people of color like shit, spews hatred, um, stokes fear in this country. Like, did you think it was going to be the lollipop guild at work? Get a fuck out of here. <laughs> I am thankful that Charlize hasn't uh, dragged Megyn Kelly to award shows a la Claire Danes and Temple Grandin yeah. or, <laughs> uh, or Margot Robbie and uh, Tanya Harding, which was that among was, the worst ooh. things a human being could have done. That reminding me of that was disgusting. <laughs> yeah. Remember that fucking like profile of her? In the Times, too. I just really want to forget that Tanya Harding exists. Right, exactly. No, I don't like thinking about her, and I'm sorry that Margot Robbie did that to us. Cynthia Erivo got in because she played a slave. So <laughs> That's the formula, the black girl formula. <laughs> there to we go. If you were by the Academy. a POC who was in a social studies book, that we get. Yeah. I want to see that. I've heard of it. <laughs> You're not off creating your own life. You're, it's a life written for me to understand. A traumatic social stories book. There, there were no hidden figures, noms. Mm-mm. Right. Correct. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. Wait, Except for Octavia. Yeah. Um, Scarlett Johansson, as I said, I stand her. I thought she was great in that yeah. movie. I guess I like that movie a little bit more than at least my friends do. I like uh, Of the 20 nominations, I think Adam Driver is my favorite. Mm. How do you feel about that? I think that maybe I'll just, I'm playing the other side right now, but I didn't see a lot of nuance in both of those characters. I didn't think. I just thought that, you know, they were loud and they were doing what I would expect people who are getting divorced to do. You know what? If I, was... I like that insight because it actually is just, maybe it's like I didn't, I didn't, hadn't felt like I saw that raw depiction of the ordinary thing that occurred. Just the but, screaming. Yeah. Oh, the one thing that I will say, I, I enjoyed Scarlett Johansson, the the way that she hid the fact that she was kind of scheming on Adam Driver's character, that I didn't expect throughout all of Marriage Story. So I was, you know, very frustrated with the character, but I think that's cool that, you know, she managed to do that at least. At I the liked very least. her in the film a lot, actually. Yeah. Su- surprisingly. Mm-hmm. Um, I usually don't like that shrub. Um, <laughs> Saoirse Rodin was 
a shock and wasn't a shock, if only because I felt like Little Women has been ignored for so much of the conversation, mm-hmm. award season-wise, that people thought it was going to get snubs because it got them at the Golden Globes. But this was the flip side, and of course... Um, the Oscars was white woman. There they are. Four nominations, getting it at you know the same age Jennifer Lawrence did. So it's nice that J-Law has competition in that arena. Of course. And I think that Saoirse, if she wins, will not trip while going off the steps. No. <laughs> yeah, you know what? All Saoirse's... shucks, guys. Yeah, she's not self-deprecating in the least. <laughs> no. We're too busy believing in her inner strength. We're too busy trying to pronounce her name. I That's know. That's true. Still. Uh, Renee got her nom. Recognize. Oh, yes. yes. I mean, I think if you ask the average person on the street about that movie, they don't know it came out. They don't. Mm-mm. They don't. Which upsets me, because she gives, obviously, an electric, wonderful performance or whatever. But it feels like you're telling, like, a folktale at it, this it point came now. And Remember went. when she played Judy Garland once upon a time, and people kind of have a vague idea of it? It came and went. It sort of came out earlier in the year, and unfortunately, the rest of the movie that surrounds it is not good. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would defend it more than the average person, but I, I don't know many people who are, are into the movie, period. Unfortunately, th- it's one of those roles where they're only talking about the lead performance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it was especially redeeming after her Golden Globes conversation. You know, I was like, yes, girl, get something. Mm-hmm. Get, like, finally getting recognized for something. So, and I don't think I don't think anybody's going to gain on her. I don't see anything here that looks like it's going to overtake. Even though I feel like there's more conversation about Marriage Story, I think it still has to be Renee based on the sheer wattage of that performance. For winnings? Of course. Yeah. Yeah, it's very... It's very Leo and Revenant. It mm. feels very like this is coming. Yeah. <laughs> Actors, supporting actor, we have some old dudes. My baby Brad, <laughs> who is in his late fifties and the youngest person in this category. Yes, my my sweet my sweet baby. Yeah. <laughs> I love Brad. Pitt. You know I love Brad Pitt. I mean, I guess I do too. I don't know that I stand yeah. much of his work, even though he's consistent. Like I love um <sighs> Thumb crease, and Louise. The creases in Brad his Pitt. face. I would run my fingers along them. That- <laughs> okay, you're a crease runner? Yes. <laughs> Live in them. All right. So we've oh. got some Irish men in here. That's true. I'll... But by the way, nobody talked about Robert De Niro being snubbed, I feel like. <laughs> and by the way, I th- and I think, by the way, if Kathy Bates didn't get in to go back to an earlier conversation, nobody would have talked about how she got would have gotten mm-hmm. in or should have gotten no. in. So I think that's a nice rubric to think about, you know. As much as I love Bobby, him and the Irishman is my least favorite part. With that Rick Baker makeup when yeah. he's supposed to be like 23 at that some point. That awful parts. makeup. I love that. I love that. <laughs> I, you know, the fucking was, CGI when so he's supposed to be doing that curb stop. And you're like, this is an old man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the fact that his Italian ass is wearing Irish. I was like, what is really going on in this movie? Just cast someone Irish, Marty. Um I, I don't know. I found Al Pacino <laughs> and also Joe Pesci just so fucking electric in this mm-hmm. movie. I found Bobby Cannavale so good in this movie. I found... Um, We've talked about this before. Bobby Cannavale is somebody who I think will march to a Best Supporting Actor win at some point. Because that's what he does. Mm-hmm. I love him. He's fourth build and he gets into a fight and you remember the fight. I want to I wanna go to New York and see him and Rose in Medea. Oh, that's so strange. I, you know... I don't know why a couple that's dating is doing Medea, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) And also did Annie, written by Emma Thompson. Yes. Uh, By the way, I I will say about the two popes, both Anthony Hopkins and Jonathan Price got in. A word about Jonathan Price, who is a Welsh actor. Isn't it weird he's played the two most famous Argentinian men of all time? (laughs) This pope and uh, Juan Perón. Yes. (laughs) 
Anybody who performs a duet with Madonna deserves a nomination of some kind. I don't know. Wow, I'm waiting for Britney's. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Me Against the Music would be a good biopic title for Britney. Of course. But again, also, Anthony Hopkins, another person who hasn't been nominated in a million years. This is such a strange year for people who we think of as Oscar winners or Oscar nominees, and yet it's been 20 years. You know, Charlize Theron since North Country. Tom Hanks. Yeah, Tom Hanks. It's been 19 years. It has been a minute, but also he did win back-to-back Oscars. Right. No, I mean, I'm not left wanting for him. The Academy was probably like, all right. Yeah. Bye, Tom. Um, but yeah, does I hope, this mean anything to you anymore? Yeah. I hope this is the start of a Hanksessance, though. That'd be nice. I want him doing, like, cheery, fun. I said this before, but I want him doing, like, comedies and being lovable. With Rita Wilson yeah. in a very supporting role. Yeah. Getting yeah. two two lines at a desk. <laughs> uh, and then actor, I mean, my favorite nomination this year is Antonio Banderas. Because, as I said... Um, before when I talked about pain and glory, mm. this for me is career highlight for him. He is so good in this movie, and the movie is so fucking beautiful. Yeah. Also, it's the rare case this year of both a career culmination performance and the Oscars paying attention actually at the same time. You know what I mean? It feels earned that this, if he was going to have a first nomination, it should be for this movie. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I was really shocked when the list came out because there was no Adam Sandler. Maybe I'm giving Uncut Gems way more than it deserves, but I really enjoyed that movie. I really enjoyed Adam Sandler's performance in that movie, especially because I didn't think that he had that in him. When I watched that performance, I thought it was a shoe-in. I thought he would. Yeah. We, we would be talking about it for the rest of the year. Here's the thing. I think that perhaps Adam Sandler is a lot like J-Lo in the sense that I don't think that the Oscars and the Academy were really thinking about them. You know, as serious people. Unfortunately, he does comedy, and we know how they think about comedy. Mm. Uh, we know how they think about horror. I'm still like upset about like the Lupita of it all. You know, it's like because you're thinking about Joaquin Phoenix here, and it's like that's literally what Lupita did in Us. And I think that Us yeah. and Joker are same quality wise. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's I don't know. It's just there actually is more going on in Us than there is in Joker, and I'm not I'm not a fan of Us. But Joker is truly crazy person goes crazy, which, by the way, speaks to my problem with Black Swan, a movie yeah. that I feel like has no arc. But anyway. All right. You, you are always slyly coming for Black Swan. <laughs> I come for a lot of Natalie roles. Uh, Vox Lux, Jackie, not my favorites. Anyway. <laughs> Things I am excited about, though. Screenplay nom for Knives Out. That's all they gave us. So that's usually that's all we got. That's usually how it works for a movie like that. They find that's like, you know, it's like 20th century woman. Yeah. You know, the movie that is our favorite. Unfortunately, we can only slide into a screenplay category because it's not our dad's favorite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like Ford versus Ferrari. Yeah. Which is best picture and then no other noms. Right. Which is wild to me, but okay. Uh, 1917. Which I did think was great. Uh, mm-hmm. it is, I still have to see it. It is a two-hour video game, and it looks beautiful. But really, you're watching it, and it feels like playing Tomb Raider. You're just like running into that abandoned building, interacting with that person. Oh, I'm in a gunfight now. There's an, a certain inevitability, like every part of the movie is a stage, like in a video game. Mm-hmm. I think I'm over, and I know that I just said I loved Uncut Gems, which is probably the most anxiety-inducing movie I've ever seen in my life. I'm over the concept of race against the clock movies, so that's why I'm not excited about seeing 1917. It's just two British soldiers on their way to go tell a person a thing. Like, So there better be something going on that's something beyond that. There better be kissing. There better be something in the trenches. There better be something for me. <laughs> no. Sam. 
Yes men. and maybe. Mm. Uh, I'm very happy for Parasite. Parasite High. Oh, obviously, love I can't believe we haven't brought it. But that see, that's what we were waiting for in the Oscar nominations for them to sneak into the acting category. I was waiting for yeah. them in the acting category. And here's my thing. It was just, we talked about these being disappointing. Then why are they so disappointing? It's because we constantly have this conversation about women, um, black people, people of color, like being nominated. And it at this point, it just feels like Hollywood doesn't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. Because at any point, it could be fixed. <laughs> at any point, it could be fixed. Uh, mm-hmm. I was. Uh, it was brought to my attention about last year's nominations when Marina de Tavira, who plays the mother in Roma, got a nomination in supporting and how surprising that was. That still required a boatload of Netflix money to yes. make happen. So Neon, which is responsible for Parasite, there's just there's no, no way there. they could have yeah. Yeah, done yeah. it. Yeah, and... Um, you know, it's just even the conversations about best director. You know, um, congrats to those men. <laughs> Thank Issa you, Issa Rae. Rae. Um, Maybe that's why she did the nomination announcement, just so she could get that shade just, in, right? Uh, <laughs> a little sum for um, us. And I know a lot of people are talking about Greta being snubbed, but honestly, if you're talking about Greta being snubbed for best director, I think that you just have a lack of imagination and taste. Um, Little Women is very good, mm-hmm. but you know. Atlantics by Matty Dia, uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire that, by Celine That, to me, is Scamaria. like the direction story we should have been talking about. It um, really is exquisite. And Lulu Wang's The Farewell. I'm like, these are three movies made by three women that are fucking phenomenal mm-hmm. and did work, and we completely didn't talk about them this award season. And uh, I know there's also the idea that what we should talk about other awards and things, you know, especially for black people, you know, mm. like, uh, oh, you know, like Lupita should support her own awards. Like, we need to create these own things. But you ignore the fact that when you're in a white controlled industry, this shit matters, you know? Mm-hmm. And having Academy Award nominee in front of your name matters when you go to the uh, table. And honestly, if you're competing with other people and you are the best, you deserve an award. Mm-hmm. Sorry, you know, I'm not just going to say. No, only should, give it to those people just because it's what they do. We shouldn't always have to separate and create our own thing because usually what will happen is white people will then penetrate that thing as well. I right. mean, like, why am I not represented in this? How many fucking BET awards does Justin Timberlake have? <laughs> no, the Oscars are our most centralized discussion about quality and entertainment that exactly. we all pay attention to every year. Even though they're very local, as yeah. Bong Joon Ho said. Oh my God. <laughs> Wonderful oh quote. Oh my God. Also, local. by the way, that quote reads as shade, but in fact, it's, it's just not. true. It's yeah. just his reality. Yeah. yeah. He's like, what? There's can? <laughs> yeah. That's more international. True. You know true. what? I'm especially mad about Hustlers and The Farewell because these are more modern movies. And when I think about, like, what won Best Picture last year? Green Book. Mm-hmm. 1962. What won the year before that? Lewis. Shape of Water. Which is also set in 1962. Before that was Moonlight. Fucking Fish is pretty modern, though. (laughs) Yeah, that's very, very chic. Moonlight. Moonlight is 1980s. What was before that? Well, Moonlight at least feels very modern. Yeah, that that Uh, one's definitely not the the argument there. But really, like, as long as the Academy doesn't recognize the story, it's not a trauma thing, they haven't romanticized it like a gang, like a mafioso movie or a 1917, a war movie, it's not going to get respected the way... mm. Like to me, Hustlers was one of the best movies I'd seen because it was a story about femininity and it was a story about like your body and and being conniving as a woman, which I hadn't really gotten to see. So, not since uh. the Lady Eve. Um, <laughs> I would say that these films were still constantly marching towards nominations that feel like this is what you expect. Right? Yeah. You expect a Ford versus Ferrari, an Irishman. You know, a little women, um, a marriage story, et cetera. Everything that was you know? And 
The only thing I will say, at least in terms of anticipating the ceremony, is that I don't actually know what will win Best Picture. I kind of think it's 1917. I think, yeah. But there's some a once, once Upon a Time in Hollywood argument. Obviously, people... The Irishman has an astounding Metacritic score for being, I believe, years long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, a lot could happen, and it better not happen to Joker. Mm. Fucking Joker. <sighs> anyway, uh... The power that we give men, right? Uh, and and on, uh, lastly, there's a lot of conversation too about like whether we hate Joker because of Todd Phillips and him being sort of annoying. And I just want to point out, we talked no. about this before. I don't hate Todd Phillips. I think some of his quotes were very annoying in the lead up to this and this whole conversation about can a comic book film break through? I'm like, Heath Ledger literally won a fucking Oscar for the same role. Yeah. Um, All those movies do is break through. And because right. we got 11 nominations now. Like, right, you know, you got 11. I don't hear. Okay. That movie is an all caps YouTube comment. That's right. it. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's it's it's, <laughs> uh, it's it's just because the movie itself is just eh. Yeah. You know, but a lot of people fucking love it. Mm-hmm. And I think they love it because of Joaquin. And it's unfortunate that a movie that is that quality is so beloved because of the mesmerizing performance in it. And as I said, the movie Us, which has the same quality. Lupita gave a fucking mesmerizing, two mesmerizing performances in that movie. How amazing and would it be? And other if... actors aren't coming over that. Did Kate Blanchett see that movie? I know. By the way, if the turnout was that Adam Driver and Antonio Banderas tied and won, that's just what I want. If we could stage I'd gag. that. Let... I'd gag. Gag. Stuff the ballot box. When we're back, Sarah Gamble joins us to talk about season two of You. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see Footprints in the Sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams robe. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? <laughs> no? Uh, if you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And I am the coziest a human being can be. Because, by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's, like, pretty mild outside, and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams' soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. We are back with Sarah Gamble. Hello. Hello. The maven behind you <laughs> and magicians. Yes. 
Yes. Such a pleasure to be in a room with. I'm a big fan of your podcast. All oh, of you. Oh, oh. Thank I listen you. Good to morning, you. Girl. I'm so sorry to hear that. <laughs> Quit at any time. If your mental health is ever Seek affected. Help. We'll see how this interview goes. Right. <laughs> I think you may be one of the most bingeable shows of all time. It's just the addictiveness of that character's point of view. Do you, do you feel guilty in making such a, an atrocious person so addictive? No, Addicting. not at all. <laughs> no. Uh, I, you know, it's based on some books. Mm-hmm. They're the same. Like mm-hmm. when you read the books, you know the potential for a TV show to be very, very addictive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I was, um, I was actually reading this quote from Martin Scorsese recently about how I guess he thinks he was drawn to like gangsters and villains and things because he's like, he wants the audience to empathize with them because he's very Catholic. Uh, so he's like, we empathize with everyone. <laughs> uh, so are there points where you're like, you want people empathizing with Joe? I felt like season two in particular. Season mm-hmm. one, I was like, okay, this boy's crazy. Yes. Uh, and it was fun and you were going on the ride. Um, but season two, I was really surprised at moments where I was like, you know, why don't you just go be a normal person? You know, like him and Delilah. I was like thinking like this could be moments for you to find some humanity. Yeah. It's a tragedy because mm-hmm. he if he just would stop killing people, <laughs> right. he would stop stalking them. If he mm-hmm. would let life take its course mm-hmm. a little bit in his own personal life, he would be OK. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't think he would be OK. Mm-hmm. But I I love writing characters that I have a hard time empathizing with when I first meet them. Mm-hmm. I like writing like the worse, the better, because mm-hmm. part of the power of being a writer is you get to get in there and be kind of walk in their shoes and figure out why they do what they do and you know, not to necess- not to exonerate them, but to understand. I mean, walking through the world, there's a lot of stuff to be scared of out there. I'm like, let me find the scariest thing and then become it on yeah. paper. <laughs> so many times I found myself watching you and like slamming my fists on the table because he somehow found a way to make me like, yeah, that was justified. That killing that person was <laughs> like, justified. Look, she didn't have curtains. Yeah, that's, her. that's <laughs> on her. That's on her. I appreciate it. Love using her curtains <laughs> at a certain point in uh-huh. this season. I was like, finally, somebody on the show. Well, when people say, sense. when people say, well, so are you affected by feedback? Like, are you affected by what people say about a show? The curtains was kind of a joke. For, <laughs> it was like because they it, they stood out so much to people when they mm. saw season one. So yeah. yeah. And yeah, asking about that feedback, what was it like with season two? Because if I can walk people through who aren't familiar with sort of like the trajectory of you, it Mm -hmm. premiered on Lifetime, Mm -hmm. and then it had a second life um, when it was canceled, canceled. (laughs) and you got added to Netflix. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Netflix like greenlit it for a season two. And so I remember watching it, you know, when it first dropped on Netflix and just being like, oh my God, I can't stop talking about this show. Mm-hmm. I mean, Lewis remembers sitting here with Kara and I talking about this show nonstop. Right. Yeah, and I was behind, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and friends had been like, oh, I saw it on Lifetime. I'm like, glad you caught up. But now this time, everyone was able to see season yeah. two drop. Yeah, that was, this season felt different because Netflix had full ownership and they they understood that season one had done well for them. And so they really put a lot of effort into publicizing it. You may have noticed the window is really short for Netflix because mm-hmm. that's a double-edged sword yeah. to be dropping stuff. They're like, we can't tell people about stuff too early because they want it like instantly, yes. which says something about, I think, our entire culture. Yeah, it must be hard just doing that with promoting like, 
obviously with like the magicians, like mm-hmm. it's on a network. So, you know, there's more of a lead time with letting people know. But do people know that that network is even there? True. That's the struggle now <laughs> yeah. with yeah. more conventional, like classic TV that was meant to go into that box, especially mm-hmm. basic cable, which mm-hmm. is what Lifetime was. And, you know, sci-fi, which is where magicians is. It's mm-hmm. it's hard to get people to know where it is or seek it out. Netflix has helped those shows a lot, but also even for, you know, I'm lazy. I just go to Netflix, uh-huh. you know? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I mean, that helped with you, and it even helps with other shows, like, say, um, Riverdale, I love, you know? But it's like, so many teenagers, uh, I think there was a report where you asked them about Riverdale, they're like, oh, that's a Netflix show. Right. And it comes out, like, every year. No, the, like, amount of teenagers, what? the amount of teenagers <laughs> at this point who've basically never seen a commercial before is staggering, you know? Yeah, mm-hmm. unless they have Hulu. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have a no commercial plan, and yet I get 500 commercials. I have a, a, an important topic to discuss before we progress any further with this you discussion. This actress in season two, Victoria yeah. Pedretti, is not normal. Something about watching her is just every line that comes out of her mouth, I want to know more about her, I want to know more about that character. She's like 20 times as charismatic as I feel like even that role was intended to, and she's supposed to be charismatic, mm-hmm. we're supposed to be involved. Talk about just... Her, like the discovery of her, <laughs> did she like blow away the room at the time? Because oh, I yeah. truly, I, I honestly cannot believe how good she is in this. She's, she's really she's fucking great, yeah, hauntingly very, powerful. Yeah, we're very fortunate, and she's like five minutes out of school, right? Basically, mm-hmm. Carnegie she's, Mellon, as yeah. one does. She just sort of rolled out of Carnegie Mellon, and she got Haunting of Hill House, and then a Tarantino movie. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. and then this. Um, but it's very easy to understand when you watch her because she's just so special. It, I, that was all Greg Berlanti. Our mutual mm-hmm. friend, I think, Greg Berlanti, right? Yes, mine and yours. Uh, yes. <laughs> who uh. texted me because he was binging Hill House, and he's like, have you seen it? Yeah, be- we were talking about how hard it was going to be to cast the role of love, especially following after Elizabeth Lale, who's mm-hmm. so amazing. She was wonderful. Um, and he's like, I think that youngest sister might be her. And then we auditioned a million people, and then he was right the first time. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Well, there we go. Yeah. Greg, yeah. he has a future in TV, I think. I was say, I do have a tendency <laughs> to believe him. Mm-hmm. Something that I just love in general about you, and I think I would maybe get more of this in my life if I were obsessed with things like true crime or or just the Mansons or or Ted Mm -hmm. Bundy or whatever, Mm -hmm. is just the idea and insidiousness of charm. Yes. Inspecting what it is, why it feels so creepy from an outsider looking in, but is so compelling to the person being charmed. Can you just talk about writing that? What's, What's it like to write charm? And is that the creepiest part of what you do? Is it the creepiest part? I'm I, uh, you know, make people's fingers get chopped off. That's probably creepier. <laughs> but um, but that I've seen before. There's some, there's just something about charming people. There's a whole Amy Mann album called Charmer. It's just yeah. It's a specific topic that I think a lot about about tricking people and why we're compelled by certain yeah. people and duped. You know, even in that finger cutting scene, when he comes in, he's the most charming man I've exactly. ever seen. You're so yeah. unsuspecting. You're like, okay, Jasper, let's. The be Smiths friends. can't get enough of him. That's the. <laughs> <laughs> This is the point of the show. Don't trust charming people. I mean, it's a superpower if you're very charming. If you have charisma, if you can get people to trust you. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then either you turn out to be good or not. And I don't know. It turns out, now that the show is out, that I'm not the only person who thinks obsessively about this. Like, I've read every book about sociopaths Mm -hmm. and about uh, shallow charm (laughs) that's hiding something else. Because it's not okay with me that I can walk around the world and be so wrong about people all the time. That you can't Mm. really tell what someone is underneath. I'm not at peace with that. It actually keeps me up at night sometimes. And it's just a truth of being a human that some of the very most predatory humans, that's sort of the camouflage that they wear 
Uh, so it's incredibly fun to write. And I'm also exercising this demon inside of me, which is just that I walk through the world kind of worried about that when yeah. I meet people. Well, yeah. it's also, you know, a little um, hard to because even that moment where Delilah is talking to Joe, you know, talking about there's no magic fix for people who are really broken. Yeah. You're like you just sort of have to barrel through, hope the demons don't catch up with you. It's like I feel like a lot of the show is also making you think about the fact that like we are all mentally and sort of damaged ourselves, you know, too. So like maybe we're also putting on a front that's different from a predator putting on a front. Yeah. And if we're all putting on these fronts, it's very hard to find out who people actually are. And I found the setting of Los Angeles very interesting for this season Mm -hmm. because there's so much of that push and pull can you talk a bit about setting it in LA and like having fun with that because I would say there are a lot of LA jokes in the show Mm -hmm. but weirdly as opposed to something like Marriage Story where I felt like I could tell Noah Baumbach hates LA Mm -hmm. Uh, this show I felt that like you all enjoy LA they they were jokes they were like we love this city but we're also going to make fun of it because it's nonsense Right. That's us saying we have some amount of self-esteem, but we're going to make fun of ourselves because <laughs> we're, you know, we have a lot of expat New Yorkers in the room as well. And, and they really went to town in season one as well. Um, but we have that nice balance. I've been here since I was a teenager and I really love all of the L.A.'s that are L.A. But uh, this is a place that has, I think, a really good combination for someone like Joe to walk into the middle of because there is so much it's just a different flavor of really, really privileged people like trying on different identities and um, walking around in kind of like a green juice lava land. I mean, that's sort of true. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think we toned it down a little sometimes in the show because it was too broad to be accurate <laughs> about what happens on just Third Street on a Tuesday. Mm-hmm. But then it's also full of really desperate people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like I feel the desperation more when I'm in L.A. than in New York. They're people who have come to pursue their dreams in this very specific way. Every time they walk into a cafe, they see somebody who's doing better than they are. And um, and the the smile is just plastered on so hard, I think, because nobody, you know, at least in New York, you can be honest when you're in a bad mood. But in L.A., everyone's very namaste all the time about everything. And yeah. so, yeah, that and then for somebody like Joe to drop in the middle of it, he's just his, his radar goes up and instantly he's like, well, everyone around me is lying 100 yeah. percent of the time. I think uh, mocking Instagram or influencer culture is one of these tricky things because it's a little like Trump in that the most extreme (laughs) version is true. You know, like I literally have seen sometimes I was at some uh, party for Big Little Lies, but I have this shirt on right now. And I saw somebody in a the photo booth they had set up taking selfies of herself with her tongue out and kept taking pictures for, I'm not kidding, minutes at a time. She must have taken 200 photos. Mm-hmm. And it was such a wild, <laughs> stupid spectacle that if you would put that on a show like you, I would have thought, oh, that's so contemptuous. Yeah. That's so ridiculous. Away, but... You know, yeah, right. There's almost no need to be inventively mean towards these people because it's so blatant. So how what was it like writing... Uh, you know, kind of mocking things about L.A. without going over the edge and making people like us, who, you know, generally speaking, like L.A., um, you know, pissed. (laughs) If I was scared about pissing people off, I wouldn't be able to write at all. (laughs) But, you know, it's interesting because it's a bit, I think it's a little more complicated than what you're saying. And we wrote about this a lot with back in season one, which is that, yeah, it's silly to watch someone take 250 pictures of themselves with their tongue out at an event. But also, like, that's kind of what you need to do if you're hustling. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's an avenue. The avenue of getting a little bit of traction online is one that has democratized 
influence a little bit. And when you mm-hmm. talk about people who are doing that, it's like younger people, a lot of women, just maybe not that same person who you expect to grab the power. So, of course, we're really fucking judgmental about it. Yeah. Of course, mm-hmm. we're judgmental about that girl. Like, she's trying to create a career for herself, probably, mm-hmm. in some level. Yes, also, she wants attention. Both things can be true, right? But I just thought it was too simplistic to say, you know, fuck all those people who want likes. It's like likes translates into money in the year 2020. And not everybody was born with that. Like some of us have to go out and get it. So mm. I have really mixed feelings about all of that. Somebody like 40 in season two is a good target for that. Because I love 40. He's just being lazy. <laughs> like, he, yeah. You know, he's being lazy slash fearful about sitting down and actually writing the script, which mm-hmm. is a difficult thing to do. He he would rather tweet about the script to, you know, like at Robert Downey, at Noah Bob, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and so I think it's really fair to take shots at him. But then when we take shots at Beck, we had to also then step back and go a little deeper into why she is posting the things she is and be a little more fair about it. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, because I think it's easy to, you know, have a bit of cynicism even with the careers that we have, right? You oh, know, Jesus, it's like yeah. uh, <laughs> television writers, but you right. know, it's like it'd be easy enough if I had come up as a television writing assistant and moved up that way, you know, and I think that there's probably some cynicism from my side and other people's sides when it's like I had to basically, you know, like tweet a lot and post things on Instagram <laughs> yeah. and become yeah, a whatever few articles. I write, I a few articles to do like, that, yeah. to get someone to notice the fact that like I've had a degree in writing, I was a playwright in New York, things about that for years. So I think that people looking in this show, you think like it's easy to attack some of these people, but yeah. you know, there's there's so much in it that just sort of hits you personally or maybe just hit me personally are you crying (laughs) (laughs) what I remember especially hit me I think this is you know a testament to you and your writer's room and how you added nuance to these characters but the scene with Crystalia who plays Henderson Mm -hmm. and um, just that idea that violence begets violence and that these characters are all dealing with something I think that's why I was saying earlier that I kept feeling apologetic for Joe because we had those Mm -hmm. he had his whole childhood which is a Another experience. So how how did you and your writers make sure that you kept these characters, you know, multifaceted? We had to acknowledge both things. One is the thing you're talking about is like trauma is totally generational. And so and also it's like such a classic trope when you're telling a story of somebody like Joe Goldberg to go back and see his childhood and see his mom and see what. So in a, right. in a way, we're also sort of winking at the genre yeah. by doing that. But we are explaining that real stuff happened to him when he was really young. He misunderstood it and he processed it in the worst possible way. But really fucked up shit happened to Delilah too and she's not going out and killing anybody. Yeah. Like we're, we're not trying to say that every person who is predated upon becomes a predator. We're just saying predators were also predated upon. Mm-hmm. Like both things are true. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, it's not to excuse him but underneath the fun of chopping people's fingers off and putting them in me, the entertainment value of the show, there's something that's true underneath about the fact that we teach really wrong lessons to young boys Mm -hmm. um, and that a lot of people have endured a lot of uh, bad stuff in their childhood and don't know what to do about it. Mm -hmm. That Um, was a bummer. I was like, that was a bummer. (laughs) 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 You took a whole conversation down. (laughs) Now, you are a veteran, by the way, of Project Greenlight. Yeah. Which is a show I still think about from time to time. I really watched it obsessively at the mm-hmm. time. And how did that just influence your life? Was it, I mean, it, it, to, <laughs> to me there's a couple of possible answers to this, which is like, oh, it was really orienting and I learned a lot. Or it was a TV show and had no bearing on actual 
uh, my actual <laughs> right, screenwriting yeah. life. <laughs> well, it was really early in the speaking of things to do to to get noticed and get a job. Like yeah. I went on reality TV to do that, <laughs> um, knowing how bad that could be. Even back then, in like 2003, 2004, whenever that was, people but. were still eating like. Um, Roaches on TV then. Yeah, right? yeah. Fear Factor was yeah. definitely in full swing. Yeah, that was a different era of reality. But a hundred percent, I would have eaten roaches to get in a writer's room. A hundred percent. In retrospect, I'm really glad we lost. That I think more time in reality TV does not make reality TV nicer to you. Yeah. <laughs> that coming in for a minute, being edited very kindly by the producers of the show, being treated with a lot of respect by the people who made the show, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, and all the people who were in front of the camera. When you're trying to break in. And that basically means you get up in the morning and you drink your coffee and you write at your kitchen table and then you go to your shitty job. Any feedback that says you don't totally suck, maybe there's a chance, is good. Because it was an entire other year before my then writing partner, Ryel Tucker, and I got gainful employment in the business. But that was a lot. I mean, we lived on the feeling that we had made the finals in a competition in a real way. It got us up early every morning to write the next day. Yeah. Yeah. What? is next for like the you universe you know because i feel like so scared (laughs) if there were to be a season three there's no more books so more books are coming more books oh more books are coming if we are renewed then not in time to save us but they're coming okay it's a little game of thrones moment yeah a little bit (laughs) you gotta diverge right i'm trying to think if it's really like that it kind of is yeah Mm -hmm. it kind of is but um I can extrapolate that probably he kills some people in the next yeah. couple books, but yeah. uh, we have some ideas mm-hmm. because obviously at the end, I mean, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't binged the season yet, but by the end of the season, he's in a classic nuclear family situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that should go well for him, marriage and children. That should yeah. be great. <laughs> I'm still so shocked. I mean, I'm not really that shocked now that I've seen the show and because I didn't watch season one when the buzz was all over Twitter. I was like, I'm going to wait because this seems concerning. And then I mm-hmm. binge watched season one and two. And I was like, no, I missed out on so much. <laughs> the traction that the show has gotten. Mm-hmm. Like, I think I tweeted just like not even thinking about it. I was like, oh, 40 in love, like tennis. Yeah. And it got so many likes and retweets. And I was like, Lady, wow. you crack the case. <laughs> you, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, people are really, really watching the show. Mm-hmm. Now that it is on Netflix and it has its like gaining viewership do you feel like that kind of affects how you want to write season three or is that very like you know that doesn't affect anything at all I mean I think writers have fragile psyches in certain ways so anything we can take in that makes us more worried like the there's always the temptation to take that in just because you know my anxiety is not high enough yeah but um (laughs) you know you're all you're all writers right Mm -hmm. so then you so you know and when you're in a room with other writers trying to figure out a story like all of that stuff goes out the window the concern that you're about to be canceled or the hype that your show is doing well none of that is relevant it's like how are we going to get joe out of this next jam he's gotten himself into and that's just what the day is and like the really important question is what are you going to have for lunch like where are we ordering from and the rest is it doesn't matter you know it's like we finished that season a while ago and now it came out and we were hoping people would like it we were hoping someone would show up and watch it but it's like it's done you can't change it it's out there and the only thing you can do is move forward and work on the next thing so that's I kind of try to just keep my head down and do that yeah which Mm -hmm. is definitely the smarter thing to do Mm -hmm. (laughs) definitely and your next thing too is Magicians premieres this week yeah on Wednesday yes yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, season five. I have just started the show. By oh, okay. The way, and I like it a lot. Thank you. Mostly because I, I already like your work, and also just because I feel like there's been this growing contention of magicians like stands in my life who I had no idea existed. Oh. Um, like I would suddenly like just mention it offhand, and then a friend at a party would be like, 
Oh my god, I love this show. I've been the, watching every episode. Why yeah. have you been watching? I'm like, why did you not tell me to watch it before? <laughs> uh, so yeah, I'm very excited for what's in store for binging this whole series. It's near and dear to my heart that show. I mean, mm-hmm. not just because it was the first time I got the chance to actually co-create a show that was going, but uh, like we said, it's such a fight to keep shows like that on the air from season to season. Mm-hmm. And there was not a person in the building making that show who was cynical about it at all. Everyone mm-hmm. loved the books. The actors loved the books. The directors, the writers, and um, so you go to work every day and it's a labor of love for everyone who's doing it. And I don't take that for granted at all. I've certainly been in the vicinity of people who feel other about their day job. <laughs> um, so I just, um, you know, everybody just puts so much of their personal selves into that. I think you'll see if you keep watching, you'll see as we got more confident and in t- moving into season two, mm-hmm. I think um, the show found its feet in this way that was telling it was like, we're not picking a lane, we're picking 10 lanes, <laughs> which is a fun place to write from. You know, I'm so excited. Yeah, and I haven't finished season two of you yet, and I cannot wait to. And again, most bingeable <gasps> I'm show. I'm so glad we didn't say the thing. Yeah, yeah it's no, a big thing. How not. do you think it's going to end? Uh, you know what? I won't even predict, predict anything because it has taken so many turns so far, and I have enjoyed them. Uh, truly, uh, okay, good. This, this sounds like I'm kissing your ass. I really enjoy the show. You know, I was <laughs> I was away on vacation um, and had deleted social media from my phone. Mm. Um, to try to relax for 48 hours. Um, but I was sort of like waiting for it to drop and waiting for people to, to text me and tell me if they saw it coming. And my friends, either my friends are like everyone or dumber because they all said they didn't see it coming. Oh, yeah. And so <laughs> I have high hopes that if you avoid the spoilers, you won't see it coming. Okay, very yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't start it until after Christmas break uh, just because I was literally on an island that had no Wi-Fi. Uh, Wait, what island were you on? Holbox in Mexico. Oh, okay. Yeah. Smart. Uh, you have to take a ferry to it. But I got like the little service I got was when people were tweeting about when my cameo appeared. Hey, I'm sorry to bother you. Would you happen to know if there's a Rufus here? Are you John Mayer? No. No, I'm Will. I'm looking. There you are, bitch. He's not John Mayer. You're a man whore, John. I feel like Cameo is downplaying the intensity and the complexity of, of his your John role. Mayer joke. Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, I was actually surprised to watch it back and find that oh, I found that scene funny. I thought I was going to be horrified just looking at it. You were going to go full Adam Driver and yeah. just I thought it was cancel like, your Netflix. <laughs> no, yes. you <laughs> Uh, I sat and watched your cameo more than once. Like I like rewinded it, and I and I begrudgingly admit, believable. It was believable. Thank you, Lewis. Wow. Last compliment of the year for you. It's (laughs) early January. Last of the decade. (laughs) I was just very excited to see the notorious Ira the Third necklace on the screen. I was like, Mom, we're going back. Look at this. This is Ira. Look at him in all his glory. So it was just a lot of fun. It's funny because when the script came in, the role was just called L.A. Hipster. Mm -hmm. And Greg and I were talking about the script to go give notes. And we were discussing who that could be. And your name came up very quickly. Oh, you don't say. Um, (laughs) I'm Greg. Make sure people finish season two of You. It's on Netflix. Uh, and also The Magicians. Magicians, Wednesday, yeah. 10, sci-fi. Well, thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. Thank you for having me. When we're back, we'll talk about the royal family drama. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, 
Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Last Wednesday, the UK faced yet another <laughs> devastating blow to the country's fabric. Megxit is upon us. Last Wednesday, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle announced their intention to step back as senior members of the royal family, seeking to become financially independent and split their time between North America and the UK. The statement came as a surprise to the palace, who were reportedly blindsided by the decision. Now, this past Monday, the Queen seemingly acquiesced to the couple's decision, but emphasizing that these complex matters still need to be worked out. When you said the decision, it sounded like Seinfeld, actually. The The BBC of that. The rest of it was Ainsley Harriet. (laughs) The RP, Sir Ira. It's been a minute since I gave them a little a little flavor, Mm -hmm. a little a little British flavor, a little Thames. (laughs) any other nouns you remember from britain (laughs) a little big bed a little westminster you did it a little shoreditch (laughs) kensington it went a little outback at the end but i was i was still with you the whole time anyway megxit let's get into this we've been talking about this saga on keep it since the beginning i feel like our first episodes we're talking about Meghan Markle joining up with Harry and about the 2020 race. Yeah. And that is wow. just the narrative of our <laughs> show. To which I say, I, I'm both sorry and you're welcome? I don't know. Yeah. Last Wednesday, Meghan and Harry casually uh, dropped a little statement on Instagram. Instagram, a note. Uh, a little, wasn't a notes <laughs> app because they're they're royals. Mm-hmm. So uh, had, to, had, to, had to do something a little, yeah, note stationary. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Announcing their intentions to step back as senior members of the royal family, becoming financially independent, and that they were going to split their time between the UK and North America. And after this dropped, it was reported by the BBC that no other member of the royal family was consulted before they issued their statement, and the palace was disappointed. Oh, no. Let's talk about this statement in the first place. Um, I was not shocked that they wanted to step back because... um, the UK has been very racist. <laughs> um, and what's funny is they've had so many British uh, mouthpieces on TV talking about how, oh, this is so shocking. Um, we had no idea this was happening. Oh, we're not racist, et cetera. And it's like people are literally publishing side-by-sides of how Kate was treated in the press, how Meghan was treated in the press. Like One of the more ridiculous ones I saw was the Daily Mail saying it was so cute, Kate and her baby bump. And then one of them saying, why does Megan keep holding her baby bump? Is yeah, this some wh- new age birthing technique? It's like, what the fuck is wrong with you people? Why is that a conversation? That's what pregnant. Where are pregnant women supposed to rest their hands? They're confused and big. Have you not seen a melodrama? <laughs> All women do is hold their baby bump, and the other ones on the back. That's it. When I occupy, roll into uh, royalty press from the from the UK. I feel like most of it is just attempting to make a story happen because yes. these people are there's there's hardly a narrative attached to them. Yeah. You yes. know what I mean? Other than they have babies, they are together, and sometimes they get divorced. And sometimes they're racist, and sometimes they support Nazis. There's that. Yes, yes. the occasional <laughs> pedophile in there. Uh, a couple taking over some um, <laughs> African countries. Right. Yeah. I'm excited for Megan. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm so excited. For I Megan. think this is exciting. Yes. Because well. 
I, okay, first of all, I've seen the movie Grace of Monaco. I know what happens mm. when an actor enters royalty and realizes, oh, this is boring. There's yeah. nothing to do. Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to, it's not that you're an icon anymore, you're a postage stamp. Yes. You're supposed to just be still and looked at. And there's some uh, uh, respect attached to your name, but that's boring too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is she Mika? Because I think she wants to be like Grace Kelly. That is quite <laughs> happy 2007 to you. <laughs> So, but like, if you're an actor, I'm just thinking like Megan. I'm in her. I'm in her head now. Okay. I think step inside (laughs) Louis Vuitton's actor studio. Sure. I feel like what propels you through the profession of acting is restlessness. Mm. Like, in order to want to do it, you need to want your life to be in disarray. Basically, you'll take any role. You'll go and do it. It's a hustle, and this life is not a hustle. Yeah. So I can only assume. She was dying of boredom. Right. And I assume she's he like, is let's too. spice it you up, talk babe. We're going. We're yeah. leaving. <laughs> um, especially since we know who Harry is, we grew up with him. Like, yeah. we're basically the same age. Mm-hmm. So, seeing his wild partying days in the 20s and like seeing when he was in the military and things like that, he joined the military. Like, he wanted to get away from the boring humdrum of royal life. It just seems like they have no intention of walking around. Posing for photos like Kate and Will. And when don't he, give yeah. a fuck. Also, there's that interesting thing for Harry and his wife is that they're living in the shadow of William and Kate. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's already she's a black woman, and then we're comparing them to an even more perfect couple in the eyes of the monarchy. So there's no way they could have won. Okay, they're the Havilands. There you are. <laughs> also, when he gave that comment referencing how the press, quote unquote, I think killed his mom was the way he yeah. phrased yeah. it. Well, there's no arguing with that. No. You know what I mean? Yes. Once you 100%. say that, it's like, get the fuck out of here. Yes, you talking know? about beautiful ghosts. What? <laughs> Number one, if, if, if we're having a ghost pageant. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, not to be dramatic about it, but they did do that to his mom, mm-hmm. and he's watching the press basically like dog out his wife and yeah. he's you feel unsafe how yeah. could he not feel unsafe 24 mm-hmm. 7 especially since you talk about the entire modus operandi of the british press is to create story i yeah. never believe half of the stories i see in the fucking daily mail anyway and they seem like the sun or the examiner in the u.s like national Enquirer, almost you yeah. know it's like you see those stories and i'm like these seem like trashy tabloids but they're being taken they're almost well seriously you know, and you think about a show like The Crown or something, right? It's like they're spinning that drama from decades of story and they skip years. Right. You know, mm-hmm. if you're just following day to day, a Royals reality show would be pretty fucking boring. Oh, yeah. Jesus. Uh, and especially just. And we've of, attempted that, by the way, on reality yes. TV. Yes. And thinking of the concept of royalty in 2020, they're also our age, as we said. Being a queen was probably cute. Um, in the olden days, yeah. when you were just reading and, uh, I don't know, like, sitting around um, and smelling the peasants outside, <laughs> crossing your moat. Um, what the fuck do you do as a royal now? Are you still supposed to follow this protocol and, like, not be on social media and, like, not mm-hmm. do, like, things that you want to do? Like, why do you want to, like, just walk around and do nothing and yeah. be a figurehead for a dying form of rule. And also, mm-hmm. like, yeah, the idea of Kate Middleton makes no sense in 2019. You know, I know nothing about her. I barely can, I don't know what her voice sounds like, yeah. basically. And I don't understand what there is for me 
in her anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, once upon a time, you know, it, it, before we were all communicating with each other constantly, as a magazine purchaser, she would have been interesting mm-hmm. to read about. You know, yes. you know, because she's there. She, she wears the fancy outfits, looks great, waves well. Just like my girl Vanna White. <laughs> Always a fan of that. But, but yeah. that age of media is over. Yeah, in an era where we have actual celebrity now, it just seems so passe. It seems like, I don't know, it, it seems like this fucking Go Sonata. Right. <laughs> only uh, a certain amount of, uh, only a certain type of celebrity a la Beyonce can do untouchable in a sort of edifying way. But she also gives us music. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and concerts and gave us Destiny's Child beforehand and mm-hmm. gives us elevator fights. And Kate Middleton ain't doing that. Nope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No game changed when her digital dropped. <laughs> <laughs> I like, I feel I, we all knew this was coming, that it was an impending thing. But especially when Harry and Meghan had their son, Archie, and they didn't, they were like, we're not giving him a title. They went out of their way to be sure that he was just going to be Archie. And, which is great and all, but imagine being like a 13-year-old boy and you're like, okay, so you, dad, are the Duke. <laughs> and you, mom, are the Duchess. And, and I'm just, okay. <laughs> Single name phenomenon, Archie. Yeah. Yes. yes. The Archie. The- <laughs> uh, one of my favorite things to come out of this was that video clip of Harry talking to Bob Iger. Yeah. Uh, basically pitching Megan for voiceover work. And as we've learned now that she has secured voiceover work with Disney and has already recorded her first gig. Uh, we were focused so much on her talking to Beyonce in that clip that mm-hmm. we didn't realize that Harry was pitching Megan for a job. And you know what? Get you a man that does that. Please. Get exactly. you a man that is worried about your hustle. By the way, it's just so interesting that as much as we talk about royalty and the the centuries old valor of the throne you know what is probably more fun a voiceover role at freeform i mean 100% you know 100% yes be an actual disney princess yeah that's what know. they do now yeah yeah i will say though that the become financially independent part is very funny to me of like <laughs> you all have right. to, i have to laugh i'm like you <laughs> i have to laugh you sound like someone going to nyu living in brooklyn uh, I'm going to work on my art uh, and really just sort of like, oh, I'm making money myself. You know, mm-hmm. like I started this startup, et cetera. It's like, okay, who bought the house? Right. Yeah. It's it's like when um, the Olsen twins went to NYU and then yeah. like immediately upon arrival, one of them was an intern for Annie Leibovitz. <laughs> oh, I'm sure that was all skill. What yes. a normal experience. Yes. <laughs> In a New York minute. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at any rate, I would love to see the Royals just like in LA, like see them at brunch. I know. See them at San Vicente. They're, at, they're, in, they're, they're in Canada. No security. Well, they said they might be moving to LA, right? And yeah. also they'll be in Toronto, which is where my family's at, so I'll be on the lookout as well. <laughs> so I'll take a group trip. <laughs> well, I mean, you already found Both John Cho. I wouldn't put it past you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Both uh, cities. And Monday, the Queen um, issued a statement, you know, that. Uh, they're very supportive of Harry and Meghan's desire to create a new life as a young family, although we would have preferred them to remain full-time working members of the royal family. We respect and understand their wish to live a more independent life as a family while remaining a value part of my family. Which is hilarious, the queen did that. Of course she was going to do that, though. They, they weren't yeah. about to start any hubbub in the press. She's definitely trained the corgis not to make eye contact with them anymore. <laughs> yeah, they didn't start any hubbub over Andrew. So yeah, they right. really nope. weren't going to start about this. They're Nobody kind of anti-hubbub now that you mention it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, when we're back, keep it. <laughs> 
And we're back with our favorite segment of the episode. It is Keep It. This is my therapy. I yeah, I become shit. my full self here. Yeah, it's done. Unload. Okay, well, Aida, let down your Therapize. hair. Okay, here we go. So, Gwyneth Paltrow, I know who we are kind of maybe fans of, is my back girl. at it again with her white womaning. Mm-hmm. I do have my crystal water bottle that I ordered from Goop, so we go. proceed well, is there a cri- What's in there? What's, is that a crystal? Yeah, it's a smoky quartz. This is a change of the taste of the water? I don't know. I feel energized. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, then I'll certainly have to be getting she one. She is such a amazing scammer. I will say that you would think that all the things would say Goop on them, but no, there there are other brands that sell through Goop. It's basically the general mm. store from Schitt's Creek. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! I don't want to drink from a water bottle that says Goop anyway. That's not at all what I want. Speaking of Goop, Gwyneth must have spread her legs and allowed her Goop to fall into a candle. Because she is now <laughs> selling a candle called uh, This Smells Like My Vagina. It is her pussy candle, her I don't know what it smells like. I don't I don't wanna buy it. It's seventy-five dollars. It sold out nearly immediately. And I just okay, at first I was like, okay, this is this is progressive maybe. You know, we're normalizing the scent of vaginas. I'm really trying to make this make sense for me. But then I found out that it smells like bergamot and like it's citrusy. So what is the what is the what's the conceit here? You know what? I believe is- her. I think if it's gonna smell like something, it's probably gonna be in the bergamot community. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. A lemon. Yeah. An orange. Listen, something like that. I would have been straight if I knew pussy was smelling like bergamot. <laughs> Would you would you buy the candle? <laughs> Say that again. Would you buy the candle? I feel like Ira has a shrine of them just at his home. Okay. I <laughs> first of all, I am a diptyque fan. Um I don't I don't need my house smelling like Gwyneth's vag. Um would I take one for free? Yes. Um, would I buy one? I think the answer is yes because Curiosity. as we've established, I stand her work, and this technically qualifies as work. But I do think soon we're going to get pussy in love. Yeah, right. I do think sooner or later we're going to get an Instagram video of her looking at the profits she made on Goop that day and just laughing hysterically, and I'm going to love that too. Oh, yeah, she's the Bejarina. I love her. Period. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> get it? <laughs> Unfortunately, yes. Check her festive Christmas line is red candles. And it's, okay, well, let's move on. Uh, Lewis. <laughs> what is in her stocking? Oh, what's in my stocking? Uh, oh, I meant Gwyneth. Oh, I see. Get it. My, <laughs> my keep it is unearned. I'm taking it well in advance of hearing the actual song. Lewis, keep... just say you're a bitch and go. Okay, here we are. Don't qualify it. Thank you. Thank you. I'm I'm empowered and in my skin, finally. My keep it is to Billie Eilish, who will be doing the new James Bond theme song for No Time to Die. First of all, I don't think it's a very adventurous choice, actually, for James Bond. She's obviously the it girl of the moment. It must have taken them two seconds to ask their teenage kid, who have you heard of? And then they asked Billie Eilish, right? But the trend of recent Bond themes has been so volume-laden. You know, starting with Skyfall, which we gave an Oscar to by Adele, which I believe is just Adele yawning for four minutes. I still cannot get over you hating Skyfall. Yeah, I'm over that. Do you put that song on? Yes. Yeah, I love that it, song. It's a bop. It's like dying in the rain. What what happens during that song? And then it's it makes fire me feel sexy. To the rain. No, mm-hmm. no, it's not. It's the embers of the fire in the rain. <laughs> Okay, and then write, uh, writings on the wall, which we gave Sam Smith an Oscar for. Pardon me, I have to hold the table. Again, uh, the sleepiest song possible. Is there a melody? 
these are things that were very important to Bond themes once upon a time. You guys have Thunderball, uh, Nobody Does It Better, Goldeneye, which if you haven't heard the Nicole Scherzinger cover, it's important to hear that wild screeching. It's important. Okay, Die Another Day. Die Another Day, which- That mm-hmm. was that was one that was a divergence, and that is your girl, Madame X. I, I, it, it is a shame that I would be wearing this shirt right now, <laughs> and then you would bring up Die Another Day to hurt me. Um, I like that song okay, but again- that, it doesn't that sound like they put that song through like a drive-through? Like, what yes. am I like listening to? Actually, it sounds like a blender. Yeah, I will say that I am actually thinking that this could turn out to be really good. You think so? Yeah, I mean, I like. I do think the, she has a good voice secretly. I and love just her doesn't face. use it a lot. Yeah, I love her voice. The song, you don't need to listen the, to her full album. Yeah, the song I love you voice. is one of the best pop songs of the past few years. Her voice. Gorgeous. Uh, yeah, you need to listen to more than Bad truly, Guy, bitch. Truly. I, I Stop just, listening to the Bombshell trailer and listen yeah, to the album. Yeah. I just think it needs to be very high octane for a Billie Eilish song. It needs to be more orchestral than she usually is. These are things that probably will happen. I'm just nervous. Mm-hmm. And I think Billie Hive seems nice and won't be too mad at me for saying this. So I've yeah. chosen to well, extend we'll, some hate we'll, to them. We'll, we'll see. You'll we'll be surprised. See. I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, I will say that uh, it could bring the flavor of um, another way to die, like mm. the Alicia Keys and Jack Black one, um, but good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yes, that was a critical uh, mistake in that one. Yeah. Uh, so my keep it this week is to the announced Silence of the Lambs sequel series that's coming to CBS. Have we not had enough of this saga? I first of all, we just had Hannibal, which everybody mm-hmm. loved. It we was did great. It. Yeah. it was great. How about you greenlight a four season of that instead of this? Following it, so it's supposed to follow Clarice, which means no um, Hannibal Lecter, presumably at first, and really like digging into that character again, which is fine. But we dug into that character again in Hannibal the movie when Julianne Moore took over and. I don't know. It it just seems like it's going to be another procedural on CBS that is not going to dive into everything that made the movie so good. You know, it's so creepy. The, the movie is creepy. The movie is like um, nasty. You know, it's it's, um, no, it's occasionally it's, funny. The dialogue, yeah, yeah, and grotesque. And I don't think that CBS can get that. I mean, we had. The Good Wife, which I stand, um, and The Good Fight, which is so beautiful and absurdist. Uh, but that's on CBS All Access. This is presumably for broadcast network TV. And the only upside is it's being written by Jenny Lumet, who oh, okay. I adore. Um, Sydney Lumet's daughter. She wrote Rachel Getting Married. Um, Do you know, I, is it a sequel or a prequel? What is sequel. the storyline? Okay. Set after. Got you. Uh, but... Do we really need Silence of the Lambs on fucking CBS? No. I will say, I think what would be critical to me is the actress playing the part, though. Of course. And I would wonder, it would have to be some new amazing find. We were just talking about Victoria Pedretti, somebody on that level. Yeah. 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 Victoria Pedretti would be great, but I also think that she may be destined for cinema. There we are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um... I don't know. I mean, it just feels a little bit like that fucking like Bone Collector series that's mm. out now. It's like, do we need this? What for? Do we need Silence of the Lands proceduralized unless it's going to be something as riveting as, say, Hannibal was? But 
I think NBC takes more creative risks than CBS does, unfortunately. In the era of rebooting things that are mostly male-oriented, I always feel like I should be somewhat grateful that we're getting another slice of at least a legendary lady character we all like. But at the same time, we've had a few slices now. Yeah, Yeah. I know. Um, Where's Karen Sisko at? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway, that's our show today. Thank you to Sarah Gamble for joining us. And we will see you next week. Keep It is a product of Crooked Media. Caroline Rustin is our producer. It's Caroline like the princess, the one you don't care about. Our editor is Bill Lance, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thanks to our digital team, Elijah Cohn and Nadine Melkonian for filming and editing our video content every week. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.